Guys, it's so good to be with you. So good to be with you to celebrate Jesus. Um, I was thinking about how awesome last weekend was. At Easter Sunday, it was a glorious day, and we had donuts outside. As people are coming, like it was a festive, festive atmosphere to celebrate the risen Christ. Um, and then I actually got a cool text from a dear friend of ours over in Africa. His name's Wenard. And uh, I've got a picture of the church that he went to preach at. You guys, uh, this is out in Chisomo. And Wenard went there, preached last Sunday morning. 28 people came to know Jesus Christ under the preaching of the gospel last week. 28 people. Okay, what's even more remarkable about, about that is that, so to get to Chisomo from where he is, he has to go 30 miles 30 miles to go preach the gospel. Now, there's this apostolic pastor around who has a motorcycle. Sometimes he'll take Wenard out to this church. Otherwise, he gets on a bicycle and does it. And if his bicycle is broken, he will walk to get there. And even when he's on his bicycle, sometimes he's got to like put it on his back and go through these rivers and stuff. But here's what I'm saying. He does all that. Why? Because the gospel counts. And we got there this last weekend 28 people became believers. We're going to meet them in heaven one day, right? It's just a glorious hurt. So what we experienced here last weekend is just one little taste of what was going on all around this world as Christians gathered to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. But it got me thinking, when I started thinking about Wenard and I'm WhatsApping back and forth with Wenard about uh, everything that he experienced last weekend, I thought about the way that we did the whole, um, he's risen, and we did a couple different ways, like, he is risen, you know, he's risen indeed, and then we said, ah, oh, but we should celebrate, he is risen, and then, ah, you know, scream, yeah, let's lift her. Um, sometimes, I've, here, here's what I thought about that later, sometimes we correlate, like, do we really believe this with enthusiasm, like, if I really believe it, I'm going to, ah, scream, and yeah, I believe it, I believe well, sometimes that's true, but other times I wonder if the more subdued he is risen, he is risen indeed, comes from people who are like holding on with a white knuckled grip to that hope that he is risen. And when somebody says he's risen, I wonder if they kind of close their eyes and say, he is risen indeed. And it, it's from the depths of their souls and maybe with tears trickling down because they're they're believing it with every ounce of faith right and so it doesn't mean that they are less convinced or less enthusiastic it's actually that they are just holding on to it through pain through suffering the reason i thought of that also you guys taking you on my like stream of consciousness as i approach first corinthians 15 so uh, many of you know, I, I lost a dear friend just a few weeks ago. Her name was Marilyn, and we were more than just family, uh, her husband, and then my wife, and I, we all came to Christ together up at UNI, and then Terry and Marilyn got married, Teresa and I got married, Terry and Teresa, our brother and sister. So we've, we've just been family together, growing in Christ together, sharing in all the ups, the downs, raising each other's kids, the whole thing. And so when all of a sudden Marilyn was torn away from us, it, it rocked me deeply. And that was just a few weeks before Easter. And so I even came into this Easter thinking about how much do I really believe in the resurrection? Like a fresh and a new, you know what I mean? 
do I really believe what we claim to believe since I was a freshman in college and came to know Christ? And then, and by the way, you should be asking, if you're still asking that question, are you really a pastor? <laughs> like, are you one of our pastors? Shouldn't you be beyond that? You're the one that tells us to believe this stuff, right? I'm just saying, like, it helped me when I saw, I'm going to show a paragraph out of an article. So Tim Keller, I don't know if you guys have read much about from Tim Keller or heard him speak, just a rock of a theologian pastor. Just this last month in the Atlantic, actually, he had an article published. And it was about, about a year ago, right now, he got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. It was really bad. And he's still going through treatment. Very, very bad critical case of pancreatic cancer. Here's what he said in this article in The Atlantic this this month. One of the first things I learned was that religious faith does not automatically provide solace in times of crisis. A belief in God in an afterlife does not become spontaneously comforting and existentially strengthening. Despite my rational, conscious acknowledgement that I would die someday, the shattering reality of a fatal diagnosis provoked a remarkably strong psychological denial of mortality. I found myself thinking, what? No. I can't die. That happens to others, but not to me. And when I said these outrageous words out loud, I realized that this delusion had been in the actual operating principle of my heart. Okay, when you read a guy who's just a rock of a Christian, actually kind of have the underpinnings of what do I believe, kind of rock existential, like in the real here now, in the emotional level, I felt like it gave me freedom all over again to think, yeah, how much do I believe this? And is it the response of my soul to say, yeah, I believe that? The reason I bring all that up, guys, is because 1 Corinthians 15. Last week we covered the first little section of 1 Corinthians 15, and it's glorious, and and it's all about, obviously, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But Paul does not just ease off the gas at that point after celebrating and proclaiming the gospel through the resurrection. Guys, he's going to spend the longest chapter in this entire long book on the resurrection, because there might be some things that he's talked about in 1 Corinthians that we're going to, you know, still be scratching our heads on here and there throughout, throughout the book. But when it comes to the resurrection, guys, he doesn't want you scratching your head at all. He, he wants you to have incredible confidence. He wants the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and your future resurrection to be anchored deeply in your soul. He wants there to be no question whatsoever what you believe about the resurrection. So he's not just going to let up on it real easily. And we're going to take the next couple of weeks to let him press in and and let's see kind of what comes out as we're challenged, as we let ourselves be challenged. What do I really believe? Not just give lip service to, not, not just come on an Easter and repeat back words. Do I really, deep in my soul, understand and believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Okay. And in fact, this, this is a little heavy, okay? Because I'm going to show you how I've described the first point of, of the paragraphs that we're going to be looking at. Here's the first point that I think he's going to bring to us. Guys, if there is no resurrection, stop coming to church right now. Okay? This is heavy. This, this is like, but he wants you to hear this strongly 
loudly what we're about to read, he's going to say, guys, if it isn't true, stop. Stop coming to church. Stop singing these songs. Stop worshiping. Stop calling yourself a Christian. That's how much it counts, okay? All right, so with that in mind, happy days at Veritas, right? Let's look at verse 12, okay? Here's where it, what he says. 1 Corinthians 15, 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? Look, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain. And so is your faith. Moreover, we're found to be false witnesses about God because we've testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we've put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. Like I said, he's not going to ease up, right? He's going to press in on this. But guys, this is not some abstract idea, nor is he referring to some long lost idea that was just going on in the first century in Corinth. What's he even talking about? No, guys, there are people all around who believe that you can have some kind of Christianity and reject the resurrection. Why do I know this? It was the home I was raised in. Guys, we, my dad was a good congregationalist, you know, congregational churches. So the big red bricks or the white pillars, and the, you know, bell tower and everything. And uh, we, in fact, we lived close enough to the church to, to where they would ring the bell in the tower about 15 minutes before church. And then we knew all, all five of us kids, follow mom and dad, we'd walk in good weather. We'd walk to church, right, dutifully. My dad was a deacon at the congregational church. My mom was a deaconess. Yet, here's what my dad would say oh yeah, there's, there's no heaven or hell. Heaven and hell are just things that we experienced right here on earth. There's no resurrection. There's no eternity. That's, that's just kind of myth. But it's good. Let's just be good churchgoers. Let's be good Christians. Now, I just want to say, much later in life, my dad got cancer and had a complete reawakening of what is true about resurrection. But I'm saying my, my growing up years, it was... A dad who would say, oh yeah, we should go to church. We should call ourselves Christian. I'll even be a deacon at that church. But I don't believe, no, I don't believe that stuff. And guys, you have to know, that is what is true for churches all over our cities, right? There are a whole lot of even pastors and deacons or whoever out there populating churches who are going through the motions and repeating words and singing songs and repeating back creeds. But if press, they'll say, oh yeah, no, I, I don't actually think about it. That is true. That's a good way to live. You know what Paul is saying here in this passage? That is ludicrous. <laughs> Why would you go through the motions? Why would you go claiming you're a Christian? Why would you keep going to church if it's not true? It is a ridiculous idea. Look at what he says so strongly. Verse 13, if, those, if there's no resurrection of the dead, Christ hasn't been raised. And if that's true, if Christ has not been raised... Our proclamation is in vain. It's empty. It's worthless. He says, and so is your faith. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. 
Verse 19, if, you, if we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, for, for what it does for us in the here and now, we should be pitied more than anybody. Man, this incredible uh, theologian that I like to read, Leon Morris, he said this, if there is no resurrection, Christians are pitiably deluded people. So, pitiably deluded people. So that's this great theologian saying, just reflecting on Paul's words here. And on the other end of that spectrum, so Stephen Hawking, in this generation, probably the most celebrated atheist, right, brilliant physicist, he said virtually the same thing. He said, I think a conventional afterlife is a fairy tale for people afraid of the dark. And here's what Paul would say. Yeah, if there's no resurrection of the dead, yeah, let's wake up from the fairy tale. Let's wake up from the delusion. If there's no resurrection of the dead, stop right now, right? We can't entertain this ridiculous idea that it's okay to be a Christian and yet not believe in the resurrection. And especially, for me, I was thinking, verse 18, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, well, they've just perished. People who have said they're followers of Christ and then die, that's it. They're, they're just done, right? If there's no resurrection, just embrace that fact. But here, it's heavy, right? You're looking back at me like, wow, so mean today or whatever. But that's, that's what's on the table, guys. That's what Paul is trying to say. Those are the stakes if there's no resurrection. And thankfully, we get to turn to the next passage because he goes, but as it is, <laughs> like, I love those opening words of, of verse 1. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In fact, here's, here's what I'm telling you, and then we'll read the rest of this passage. Point two, though, the resurrection is actually the linchpin on which literally everything else depends, okay? We're going to find this. Not only is there a resurrection, not only is it true, everything is going to hang in the balance on that truth. Everything is going to be dependent and kind of suspend from the truth of the resurrection. Not only is it true, it is everything to us. So let me show you how he unpacks that. But as it is, like, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as... In Adam, all die. So now in Christ, all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, and afterward, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. I love that he uses that word, first fruits, by the way, because what he's saying is, oh, no, no, that's just the beginning. The resurrection of Jesus, <clears throat> oh, yeah, that's just, that's just the starting point, right? He's the first fruits, meaning there's a whole lot more fruit that's about to come. That's just the first taste of it. Because what he basically did is he kind of unlocked the door to resurrection. He kind of busted that door open so the rest of us could come flying through. Remember when, when he said this uh, back in the Gospel of John where he said to his disciples, he said, hey, I'm, I'm going to go and I, I'm going to be resurrected. I'm going to ascend. I'm going to go. But when I go, I'm just going to be up there preparing a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. Right? And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to gather you all. I'm going to take you back to this place that I prepared for you. That's what Paul is referring to here in 1 Corinthians 15. As it is, there has been a resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is our hope. 
Because those of us who believe that he died for our sins, that's what we looked at last week, the first part of 1 Corinthians 15, that he died for our sins and rose again for our life and eternal life, we're going to join him. And we're going to live forever. That's what's true. But it's more than just our own future resurrection that's at stake. I'm saying the resurrection is the linchpin. Like everything, everything depends on it. Look what he continues to say now in verse 24. Oh, but that's just, you know, all of us being resurrected? Oh, yeah. But then comes the end, the, the telos, the conclusion of the whole thing. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and authority and power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be abolished, death itself. For God has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says everything is put under him, it's obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception. But when everything is subject to Christ, when the Son himself will then also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him, and look at this, so God may be all in all. Guys, the resurrection of Jesus Christ promises us a future resurrection, but it is also the crescendo to the entire story of the universe. Everything is going to be restored because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I, I was trying to get my mind wrapped around how do, how do I bring this point home? And so I started sketching stuff out and then Mitchell took over, thankfully, because he's a way better sketcher than I am. And here, here's the way I'm trying to, in, in its simplicity, you know, like a, a picture paints a thousand words. I, I, I hope that this helps in some way. Here's what I'm saying. What we've got is through one man, through, through Adam, we we all sin. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? In Adam, we've all found ourselves sinning, and that sin has brought just a death spiral to us all, just all ending to the grave. But when we get to Jesus Christ, he not only took on our sin on the cross, but then he busted through great conquering death itself so that what comes as a result of that is more than just a future resurrection for me. It starts there. But everything is renewed. There is a whole new heaven, a whole new earth. All that God wanted to be true in this flourishing, beautiful creation will be brought back and restored a new heaven and a new earth. And all of that is dependent right there on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The whole storyline of the Bible hangs in the balance with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There, there's this really cool verse earlier on in uh, 1 Corinthians in chapter 2. Listen to what he says. 1 Corinthians 2.9. What no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no human heart has even conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love him. Whoa! So, so I, I love even what God's given us right here in this planet, right? I mean, there's so many things yet to explore. I, I don't know if you guys have ever been to a place where you can... Um, snorkel, and I'm not even talking about like scuba. That'd be really cool, except I'm too terrified to do anything like that. So I'm just talking about like mask with a little, you know, tube thing, you know. So I'm just saying like, you're, you're, you can be walking around and you're like, oh, this is cool. There's stuff. And then you put that mask and you look underneath and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, there's like stuff all over and living things and bright fish and all, right? It's, it's like this whole new world right under the surface. Here's what I'm saying. If that is true with me just putting out a little thing and, you know, looking down, how much more is there going to be to explore when God recreates 
a heaven and an earth as it was intended to be with no sin, no death, no curse, what is exploring that place going to be like? What are the trees going to be like in the new heaven and the new earth? I just can't even imagine how spectacular things are right now. And here's what I'm saying. Everything, that whole storyline, Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation, all hangs suspended, dependent upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when he resurrects all of us, then all of a sudden he hands over all the keys to the kingdom back to the Father and God. Look at that last verse. And God will be all in all. Everything set to rights. Everything wrong, undone, and set right side up again. No more fear. No more panic. No more heartache. God will be all in all. And it is all dependent on the resurrection of Jesus. But here's the thing. Now, here's what he does. Takes us from like the... 30,000 foot view of that, like the whole cosmic story now completed because of the resurrection and he brings us right back to planet earth and this day right now as we walk out those doors later on. Because here's the third point that I think he wants to bring to us here is that guys, the resurrection changes every decision of every day of my life. It's not just some big cosmic thing to just kind of be enamored with. No, no, no. If the resurrection is true, today will be different for you and me, right? It works backward and changes everything about this moment and this day. So look what he does in verse 29. So otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, then why are people baptized for them? I know, that's a weird verse. Let me come back to that. Keep going with me. Okay, we'll come back to that. Why are we in danger every hour? I face death every day, as surely as I may boast about you, brothers and sisters, in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus as a mere man, what good did that do me? If the dead are not raised, let's eat, drink. Tomorrow we just die. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Come to your senses. Stop sinning. Some people are ignorant about God, and I say this to your shame. Okay, what's he trying to say here? One, let's go to that baptized for the dead thing. Here's what I think. Now, there's some confusion here for sure, but here's my best shot at explaining what he means by being baptized for the dead. The word for can be in place of, just like our English word for can be in place of. Here's what I think he's saying. If somebody gives their life to Christ and in doing so puts themselves in kind of trial and difficulty and persecution and eventually many end up even martyred and killed, why would others line up to kind of take their place, get baptized for in place of the dead? Think about it like this. If you are in a military campaign And there are soldiers going out. And as they kept going out, wave after wave, they're getting taken down. If there's no hope for victory, if there's no hope for this at all, why would others take their place and keep going in and filling the place of those who are now dead? Well, it's because you're assuming there's going to be a victory at the end of that, right? Here's what he's saying. 
Guys, I'm facing death all day long. Why would anybody, look, if there's no resurrection, if that's not true, stop, stop this, right? Don't take my place. Don't anybody take the place of those who have been baptized. Stop, close up the tank. Don't let anybody else get baptized and follow this storyline. But he's saying, but as it is, there is a resurrection. And the reason that we face peril and the reason that I will even face wild beasts in Ephesus, the reason that I will keep putting it all on the line is because there is a resurrection. There's more to this life. In fact, this life is just a vapor. It's just so short. And one day I'm going to be resurrected into life that is truly life. So look, the converse is what he's trying to say, guys. This is where, again, he's trying to put all the chips on the table so that you'll, you'll really take this to heart. Because if this is not true, if there is no resurrection, dude, just party hard and die. That makes the most sense if there's no resurrection. Just live for the gusto, right? And die. Don't serve others. Why would you serve others? See what you can do to get them to serve you. Exploit everybody and everything around you because you've only, you're only going to go around once. Take as much as you can, right? If there's no resurrection, that actually makes the most sense. Don't serve, be served, right? Don't share the gospel with your neighbor. Share a beer, right? Or better yet, have him buy because you're out to exploit him, right? Because this is they're all, all there is. Just take it for, that's what he says, right? Eat, drink. Tomorrow we're just going to die. Just if there's no resurrection. You want to say to my friend Wenard, Wenard, go home. Don't go 30 miles to share the gospel. What? You're, you're going to get malaria again. This might be your last time. Maybe you're going to get bit by one of those black mambas that live in the grasses where you're going. And Wenard, stop. Go back. Grow your food. Enjoy your family. If there's no resurrection, just, just live a happy life and then die. But guys, there is a resurrection. And it changes everything. But that, that weird verse, look at that weird verse. It doesn't seem like it fits. Verse 33, but don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. You know what he's saying by that? But if you surround yourself with only voices that are saying, hey, eat, drink, be merry, tomorrow we die. If you keep just surrounding yourself with people who actually really don't believe that there's a future resurrection, well, here's a shocker. You're going to be just like them, Right? Even if you say, no, I, I believe in a resurrection. Yeah, but if you surround yourself with only people who are going to tell you something different, don't be shocked when all of a sudden you just conform to that worldview, right? Because that worldview makes the most sense to them because they've eliminated future, hope, resurrection, eternity. And it changes the way people live right here. And so he's saying, even more than that, come to your senses. Look at the way he ends that. Come to your senses. Why? Because there are people all around who are ignorant. They don't know about God. And I say this to your shame. Guys, Christ has been resurrected and it literally changes everything. 
None of us are just mere mortals, material beings that just have an existence and then die. No, no, no. There's a resurrection coming. I, I was thinking about this, and, you know, a couple of weeks ago I got a chance to share the gospel with this guy, Rich. Spent like a couple of hours talking about the gospel, and he was just leaning in. He's like, man, I can't believe we're having this conversation. I, but he never gave his life to Christ. And I'm reading this this, this last week, and so I, I texted Rich. We had exchanged numbers, and so I said, Rich, dude, there's no accidents with God. We were meant to have that conversation. Are you still thinking about the gospel? So much depends on it, right? Everything depends on, do you believe that this life is a vapor, this life is short, and then we die and resurrection follows? Do you guys believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And when I ask you, that's not to cue up, yeah, you know. Maybe this morning, the, the cue up is to be like, I do believe. I do believe. And it's going to change everything about my life. And it's going to cause me to have conversations with people that might even be a little uncomfortable. But everything depends on this truth that Jesus Christ has raised from the dead. So what I want to do this morning is have us pray through that together. So will you, will you stand with me? Um, you know, for, for a while, we'd pass these things out, these prayer cards out, so we could pray through Psalm 23 and pray through the Lord's Prayer. You know what's interesting? At the end of the Apostles' Creed that, that we confess together, right? As Christians all around the world, we confess this, this is true. You know what the last thing that we confess we believe is we believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Will you just bow your head and, and close your eyes with me for a moment? Do you believe? No, really. Do you believe when pressed, when shaken, when all of a sudden it matters because you're facing death or someone you know is facing death or maybe you just know somebody in abject poverty and trials? It matters. Do you believe that this life is actually so very temporary That guys, Jesus Christ came to bust open, to, to crush death under his feet and to bust open a door to life eternal, a physical life, an eternal life, a tangible life, a resurrected life. It's not fairy tale. It's true. Maybe this is even this morning, you're having to face that question. I'm begging you, believe. It's true. Believe that Jesus Christ has come for you, died on the cross for your sins, yours, not just the sins of the whole world, your sins. 
and that he rose again to bring you home, to be with him, so that you could experience a completely transformed heaven and earth. What an invitation. Jesus, we believe. We also say, Lord, we're weak. Help our unbelief. But Jesus, you've done it all for us. Jesus, we believe. He is risen. Yes. He is risen indeed.